0: Get rid of this hum here, Ben. You got it? All right, what's next? Burger King, have it your way. A couple hands, a few. All right. Roll the next one. I'll tell you what, if the kids were in here. All right? Everybody be voting for that one. But uh, let me show you my personal favorite, see how many votes we get for this one. Yeah, got our Christians in the house today, don't we? Christian company. You know, in fact, that's one of those Christian companies that I wish was a little less Christian. Why? So they'd be open on Sunday. Come on. But Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A is the bomb. And you know why? It's not because of their food. The food's good. But there's a lot of places you can get a chicken sandwich or a salad. You know why we love Chick-fil-A? It's not the food. It's the service. You think about this. Is there any other fast food place where you go, where a worker will come around to your table and offer to get you a refill of your drink? Is there any other fast food place you go into, you, you get through with your meal and you're just sitting there talking and, and one, of the, one of the employees comes and offers to take your trash and throw it away? Th- their service is unbelievable. The, the drive through at Chick-fil-A can be eight miles long and you'll be through in three minutes. And, I, and That is not hardly an exaggeration. A couple years ago, uh, the first year we went to the Innovative Church Conference up at Granger, they turned us loose at lunchtime. And I I think everybody from the conference ended up at Chick-fil-A. This is no exaggeration. I think there was a hundred people waiting in line to order their food. When we walked in, we had our backs against the doors, the entry doors to the restaurant. And we had our food, and we were seated in what, about ten minutes? Some of you that were there? Ten minutes? Hey, I've gone in fast food places where I was the only customer within 20 miles. And it take longer than ten minutes to get a hamburger and and some french fries. Chick fil A service is amazing. And if you, you know what? If you ever try to thank the people who work at Chick fil A, what do they say? My pleasure. Their service is amazing. But now here's the puzzle for me Chick fil A is known for the way they serve people. Why isn't the church? We're known for judging people. We're known for condemning people. We're known for what we're against. But why is it that when we look around us for examples of really going all out and welcoming and serving other people, we have to look at a fast food restaurant instead of at the church? We're in the second week of a series of messages called Core, and we're talking about some of our core values, uh, some of uh, the ideas and concepts that, that we hold to be important, that, that we believe should drive the way that we do ministry and, uh, and, and, and reach people in this community. And we're doing it in hopes that by, by restating Those core values and refocusing on these core things that we will continue to grow. That we will continue to see God's blessing and continue to reach this community for Christ. Now last week we said that people who have been found find other people. We talked about evangelism. We talked about reaching out. We we said that if we are believers in and followers of Christ that we have a responsibility to reach people for Christ. We have a responsibility to care for and be concerned for the people that Jesus cared for and that He was concerned about, namely, those, who, those people who are far from God. And we wrote down some of their names. Put them up on, the, on these post-it notes up front here. Today, we're going to talk about service, about serving other people. Now, right here, again, you know, last week I said that... that That word evangelism scares us. Well, servanthood is, you know, we're in danger of being put to sleep. Servanthood, I heard that one. You know, why don't they put a puzzle in this bulletin or something, a word search? I could do something else while he's up there talking. But here's how we express it as a core value, and you're going to see why this is important in a minute. At New Hope, we believe that the Bible teaches that people who have been saved serve other people. People who have been saved serve other people. Now, here's what that means. If we're followers of Jesus, and can we pause there for a moment and say that there is a, there's a big difference between being a church attender and being a follower of Jesus? I mean, you and I both know people who attend church, but there's nothing in their lives to indicate they're following Jesus. Right? Followers of Jesus serve other people. They can't help it. It's part of the transforming work of God in their lives. People who have been saved serve other people. We are, every single one of us who are followers of Christ, are gifted and called and equipped and empowered to serve Jesus by serving other people, both inside and outside the church. Boy, my amen people must have slept in today. They thought it would have got a better amen. You know what? Jesus Amen himself in the book of Revelation, so I'll just amen myself right there. Amen. too late. (laughs) Doesn't count. One of the best illustrations of this core value, I think, is found in Luke chapter 10. We're going to go to a very familiar story that Jesus told, the story of the Good Samaritan. It's one of my favorites. I think I've preached it here three or four times over the last five years or so. And and we're going to pick up in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, okay? So if you're looking for that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third gospel, the third um, installment of the story of Jesus' life there in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter 10. But let's set the stage for just a minute, okay? Let's kind of situate ourselves in the story that we're about to to, to hear. Jesus' ministry was amazing. The things that he taught were incredible. And they drove religious people crazy. They absolutely did. They couldn't stand it, especially the leaders of the religious community. And let me tell you something, not much has changed today. You get serious about Jesus, or you let a church get serious about following Jesus. And you know who the criticism will come from? Not unbelievers. They couldn't care less. It'll come from religious people. Criticism will come from church people. Jesus upset the religious people. And so they pulled out all the stops. I mean, they they brought in the big guns. They brought in their well-known teachers, their their most highly regarded experts, to to see if they could find a flaw in what Jesus was teaching. To try to get Jesus to, to trip over his words. To, to, to trick him into saying something that they could use against him. That they could use to discredit him. And that's what's happening when this story opens up in, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now that, isn't that crazy? You're going to test Jesus. But he stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's what you've got to keep in mind all through here. This guy doesn't care about what Jesus thinks, how you inherit eternal life. He's got one purpose. He's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something they can use against him. But there's a funny thing about Jesus. And I know it must have been frustrating to the people that talked to him. That, that, that came to him. Jesus almost never answered a question that people came to him with. He, he did one of two things. Either he A, asked a question back or B, he told a story. So somebody would come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you think about this? He'd say, I don't know. What do you think about it? Or he'd say, that reminds me of a story. A certain man had two sons. He'd tell the story. Well, in this spot, Jesus is going to do both. He's going to ask a question and tell a story. Jesus replied, verse 26, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So, you know, Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What's the secret here? What's the skill? What what, what do I need to fulfill? And Jesus says, what do you think? You're the expert. You know, some translations call this guy a lawyer. You're the lawyer. You're getting paid by the hour. What do you think the answer is? And the man answers in verse 27. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. We have a winner. Ding, 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 ding. He got it right. Jesus says, now now do it and you will live. Do this and you will live. But the guy keeps pushing because verse 29 says, the man wanted to justify his actions. And isn't that every one of us? We want to explain ourselves. We want to explain away some things, right? We, We want to talk about how the rules don't apply to us. I mean, I know you said this here, but that's for them. My story is different. My situation is different. I'm a special case. Let me uh, share with you what it's really all about, and you'll see that all that stuff doesn't possibly apply to me. I guess I'm the only one that ever does that. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus is about to make that real clear for this man. But if we're going to get our heads around this core value, that saved people serve other people, there's a couple of key principles, concepts that we need to get. We need to make sure we get them. And here's the first one. We need to see like Jesus sees. We need to see like Jesus sees. Following Jesus should change us. Following Jesus should change us. I mean, as we grow and mature, things should be changing in our lives. Jesus is changing us. And and, and the question for us, if we're not changing, is are we following? Because it's impossible to follow Jesus and stay the same. We see it happen over and over and over again to people in the scriptures, don't we? I mean, we, we see people who were ter- terrible, awful people, criminals, murderers, uh, you know, awful, terrible, horrible people, tax collectors, changed because of the influence of Jesus in their life. Just a couple. How about Paul? Persecuted the church, had an open warrant to hunt down the believers in in this new cult, new sect of Christianity that had popped up. He stood by while Stephen was stoned to death, holding people's coats. Here, you want to join in the stoning? I'll hold your jacket. And what happened to him? He becomes the greatest preacher and missionary in the history of the church. The greatest theologian in the history of the church. It's two-thirds of the New Testament. We see it happen over and over and over again. Jesus changes our perspective. He changes the way we think about things. He changes the way we see things. And if we're going to nail down this very biblical core value that saved people, serve other people, we've got to begin to see like Jesus sees. We've got to be able to look at people and see them as the valuable creation of God that they are. We've got to be able to look at people and see... What they need, where they hurt, what their issues are, and how can we help them in practical ways. Verse 30, Jesus tells a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we've got to hit the pause button there for a second because there's something we have got to see here. I'm going to tell you, I tell you guys all the time, I've studied the Bible a long time. And I am constantly running into things that I hadn't seen before. This is one of those things. Jesus says this man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Most translations, other than the New Living Translation, say the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it says that because of this. It's 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. But on that journey, the elevation drops by over 3,000 feet. You literally are going down. It's a downhill trip. And here's something else tied to that, I believe. Jerusalem was known as the city of blessing. It's the city of blessing. That's where you went to worship. That's where you went to sacrifice for your sins. That's where you went to have your sins atoned for. Jerusalem is where you went to be forgiven. It's no coincidence that Jesus was crucified there. Jericho was known as the city of cursing. Now we read, again, our Bible reading plan this week, we read Joshua 1 through 5 in preparation for what I'm about to tell you about this this next week. We'll read this story in, in our reading in the book of Joshua. That's the city that the Israelites encountered when they first crossed into the promised land. And it had to be conquered first. And so, if you remember the story, they marched around it for seven days, once a day for seven days, they marched around it. And on the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and the walls of the city fell down. Not just the walls, every building fell down, except one house. Every, it was just utterly destroyed. And after they had conquered it, after they had taken possession of that city, Joshua Prophesies over that city and pronounces a curse on the city. And he says, Whoever rebuilds Jericho, their firstborn son will die. And whoever resets the gates of the city, their secondborn son will die. And I'll tell you something that's exactly what happened to a man named Hiel. It's in 2 Kings. It tells about Hiel rebuilding the foundation of Jericho, and his firstborn son died. And he reset the gates, and his secondborn son died. So Jericho is known as the city of cursing. Now, I say all that to say this. The man in this story wasn't just traveling downhill. He was moving himself from the place of blessing to the place of cursing. He was moving from the city of praise and worship and a relationship with God to the city of cursing and destruction and death. And we're going to see as this story moves along that if we are going to be saved people who serve other people, God is going to bring people who are on that same journey into our lives. He's going to bring people into our lives whose, whose lives are descending into cursing in chaos, and watch what happens because this is always what happens to the people who are on that journey. We continue on there. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. That's where it always ends up on that journey. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that our enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy and there are people sitting right here in this room who have friends and family members. And this is their story. This is their story. They have they've walked into or they've gotten caught up in some kind of downward spiral in their life. And they are going to end up laying half dead by the side of the road, naked and half dead. How do we help them? Keep reading. Verse 31. Luke By chance, a priest came along. Hallelujah. Here's, here's some help for the guy. Here's a priest. Here's a holy man. He has the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. He prays for about seven hours every day. And yet Jesus says... He was making the same journey from the city of blessing to the city of cursing. Hey, people can sit in church every week for years and still be walking from the city of blessing to the city of cursing. They just do it with a Christian t-shirt on. Because they think that following Jesus is about externals. And they miss the fact that Jesus doesn't want our behavior. He wants our hearts. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, don't miss this. He he didn't overlook him. He didn't not see him. He wasn't moving so fast that he got by what, was there something beside the road? Ah, well, okay. That happens to me all the time. I'm driving somewhere and Vicki goes, oh, look at that. And it's way back there. I've gone too fast. I can't see it. That's not what happened here. Jesus says he saw him. He saw the man lying there on the side of the road, beaten half to death. And he made a conscious decision to cross over to the other side. Now, we, let's cut him some slack. I mean, he probably said, oh, bless his heart. I'll say a prayer for him. You know, let's, 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 let's cut him some slack. He was probably on his way to his prayer group meeting. He's probably on his way to his Bible study. Pastor Scott's anti-Bible study. No, I'm not. I love Bible study. I love to study the Bible. But we study the Bible so we can put it to work in our lives, folks. We study the Bible so we can apply it to our lives, not just so we can fill up notebooks and get fat heads full of knowledge that we never apply to the way that we live. Now, if you're going to clap, clap. Don't mess around. You want to totally mess up the next Bible study you go to when it's all done and everybody's folding in their five-part Bible case And zipping it all up and putting away their four-color highlighters, say, "Wait a minute! So what now? So what now? What do you mean? What do we do now? We studied all this, all this truth, all this word. What do we do with it? How do we do this? They'll never invite you back." (laughs) Verse thirty-two. I better get off that one, so we'll go on. A temple assistant walked over. Let me tell you who the temple assistant was. The temple assistant was at church every time the doors were opened. Every time the doors were open, they volunteered for everything. They signed up for everything. They, 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 they sang in the choir. They went to every Bible study. They joined every small group. They worked in the nursery. They taught Sunday school. They, they sponsored the youth group. They drove the church van. They mowed the grass. They prepared communion, visited the nursing home, played the piano, and changed the church sign. That's the temple assistant. Now, now watch this. A temple assistant... Walked over, and the rest of that verse says, "And looked at him lying there." Well, have you ever in your life? (laughs) He he's half naked. Why he got enough cloth on to wad a shotgun? But he also passed him by on the other side. It's confusing. Not one, but two spiritual leaders, religious people, good church members who could have stopped and helped this injured person instead choose to cross the street and go on their way. Now please get this. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, make sure you get this. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called, you are equipped, you are empowered, and you are expected to serve other people. You're expected to serve people who've been left laying on the side of the road, half beaten to death by life. They need somebody. They need somebody to come along and not pass them by, not pronounce judgment on them, but to help them, to help them. They need you. They need us. We have opportunities to serve all over the place. We've got a lot of opportunities to serve here at the church. I mean, helping us create a, a church, an atmosphere where the lost and the unchurched people can come and, and feel okay about hanging out. Feel comfortable about hanging out while they learn about Jesus and hear about Jesus. When I mean, we've got opportunities out in our community we've got meals that need to be delivered to senior citizens and, and people that, to work at the food bank and people to work at the thrift store and help build Habitat for Humanity houses and, and two dozen other ways we don't even know about yet, you're needed, you're valuable, you can help, you can help, saved people serve other people, it cracks me up, some people see that person laying by the side of the road, and their first thought is, well, I better call the church and get them to give them some help. It's like they think we have an emergency response team standing by, right? Wouldn't it be cool if we did? We'd call it Spurt, Spiritual Emergency Response Team. How cool is that? They think we've got that emergency response team standing by just waiting to, to, to be dispatched. And so the call comes in, um, yeah, this guy needs your help. I, mean, he, I just thought that somebody from the church should help him. And an alarm goes off. Me, mom, me, mom. And they they jump into their gear and then they jump into the church van, which is always kept full of clothing and food and bandages and rent and utility money and and addiction recovery pills and marriage repair kits and gospel tracks and boom, off they go. They get to the scene. All right, folks, back up, back up. Give us some room. We're professionals here. You know, they get on the radio. Oh, uh, yeah, you better get us, Pastor Scott. This is a uh, kind of a big one. We're gonna need some backup out here. Come. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing half the time. <coughs> if I did, I'd go hide. Here's I'm glad you're laughing because here's what you got to get your head around. You and 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 you are that team we are that team we we don't have a special emergency response team waiting here for you to call in and say I think somebody ought to go help them you are that team it's up to us it's up to all of us step up serve the world and if we don't want to get dirty and we don't want to get uncomfortable, and we don't want to get tired, and and we don't want to run the risk of being rejected or or being taken advantage of, then there's at least four books worth of pages we need to rip out of our Bible. They're They're called the Gospels, and they're all about Jesus giving up everything and getting dirty and getting uncomfortable and being tired and being abused and dying because you and I were that person on the side of the road. sacrificed and He served so that we could be saved. And saved people serve other people. Verse 33. <coughs> then a despised Samaritan came along. And you know when Jesus said that, everybody listened to this story went, <gasps> because Jews and Samaritans hated each other hated each other. We, some other time we can go into the reasons why, but just you just have to know it was a deep, deep-seated hatred and animosity between them. The, in, the, in the Jewish synagogues, they would pronounce curses on the Samaritan people. As far as Jews were concerned, Samaritans could not convert to Judaism. They could not become Jewish people. Deep-seated animosity. And when he saw the man, it goes on to say, He felt compassion for him. And here's why. This is the only person in the story who sees like Jesus sees. It's the only one. If saved people serve other people is going to be a true core value for us, then it will be when we see other people not for what they can do for us, not what they can do for our church, but what we can do for them to help draw them closer to God. And the big joke that Jesus is pulling on this expert in the law, and in fact on all the Jewish people who are listening to this, is that a hated, despised person, a person that they never in a million years would have thought had anything of value to offer anybody, is the hero of the story. So if you're sitting there this morning and you think, well, I'm insignificant. I I can't do anything. I don't have anything to offer. I I really can't help other people. It doesn't matter how many other people in your life might agree with you, you are in a prime position to be used by God to do something amazing in the life of another person. I'm going to get amen one way or the other. Jesus didn't call the religious experts. And and the spiritual leaders and the elite and the intelligent to follow him to follow him. In fact, in Acts, it's around chapter four. It says that the that, the, that those people when they saw Peter and John, recognized that they were common ordinary men. And the Greek word there, you know, it because I've told it before, is idiotes. Hello, idiotes, idiot. When they saw that they were idiots, they they couldn't believe the work that God was doing through them, through these idiots. Down home we said "idiot." Hey, God use that idiot. If He can use them, He can use you and me. He called common, ordinary people, and He used them to turn the world upside down. We just have to be willing to see like Jesus sees. And then the second concept we've got to get is this. We have to respond as Jesus leads. We have to respond as Jesus leads. There's a word that's kind of unpopular, and we don't, we don't like it. It's the word authority. By show of hands, how many people in here have been pulled over by the police in the last year? Raise your hand. My goodness. I was expecting one or two hands. but mm, Hang on. Note to self. Sermon series on obedience. Well, let me ask you this. When that blue light went off in your rearview mirror, did you say, thank you, God, for, for this authority protecting me and all these other people out here on the highway? Or did you say... I, got, I last got pulled over. I have to say it like that because I'm going to get pulled over again. I'm stay. <laughs> I, I got pulled over last time a little over a year ago. It was, we had to deliver the Christmas child, Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes to Westfield. We had to be there by noon and because if we didn't get them there by noon, we had to go to Chicago or Cincinnati or somewhere like that. And, and, and I don't want to lie. I, I had my foot all the way up in there. Okay? I mean, I was gouging on it. And there he was. Sam knows. Sam was with me. And there he was. Now, I'm going to tell you, my first thought was, I think this Astro van can outrun that Ford Vic police <laughs> interceptor. <laughs> but, but I decided not to run. Aren't you glad? I mean, I, I pulled over and I stopped. I gave the officer my license and registration. I also gave him a sob story about how I was delivering these Christmas presents for, for, for crippled, needy children all over the world and had to be there by noon. And I signed the ticket, though. I basically complied with everything that trooper asked me to do and for two reasons. One is my daddy would have killed me if I didn't. My dad's a retired Alabama State Trooper, 35 years service. He would have he'd, cut me. I'd, I'd, again, no reason to hide anything from you. But here's the bigger reason that officer was the authority. In that situation. His badge, his training, his experience, his commission. Made him, gave him the authority in that situation. He was the person with the authority. Being a follower of Jesus is simply responding to his authority. And if we're not doing that. If we're not doing what Jesus has told us to do, then again, the question is, are we following? Because here's the reality, folks. We don't need an audience. We need an army. We don't need spectators. We need impact players. Is there a more annoying person on the face of the earth than that out-of-shape guy up in the stands stuffing a hot dog down his throat complaining about what the players down on the field are doing? I don't think I've ever seen a football player stop in the middle of a game and say, Hold on just a second, Coach. You See that guy up there with the hot dog and the mustard all over his face? Um, he reads Sports Illustrated, and he plays Madden on the Wii. I think we gotta ought to go ask him what we should do. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. Spectators don't get asked questions like that. Spectators don't get asked, what direction do you think we ought to take as a church in this community? They don't have that kind of input. Let's go on. Another one of those places I need to go off of or get in trouble. Verse 34. Going over to him. You see that? Going over to him. The Samaritan sees like Jesus sees and responds as Jesus leads. And he went to the person in need. If we're going to be like Jesus, we got to go to them. We got to go to the ones who are wounded. We got to go to the one on the side of the road. We got to go to the one who's half dead. And you know why? Because Jesus came to us. Hey, I don't know about you, but I was that guy by the side of the road. I was that guy beaten half to death by life. I, I was that guy laying there naked, left to die. And Jesus, in his grace and his mercy and his love, came to me. And I am. I am glad I don't serve a God who would pass me by on the side of the road. I'm glad that I serve a God who didn't look for someone else to get them to come help me. I'm glad I serve a God who didn't preach to me while I was laying there, but who reached down and scooped me up and pulled me out of that situation and saved my life. He came to me. He came to you. And if we're going to learn be like Jesus we got to learn to go to them let's pick up there it says the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins Um, some translations say denarii denarii was a day's wage he gave him two days wages telling him take care of this man and if his bill runs higher than this I'll pay you the next time I'm here I want you to see something real quick we're, we're, getting, we're coming down to the end now he gave, that, he gave that man three kinds of help he gave him spiritual help he was willing to help him spiritually oil in the scripture is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit wine is symbolic of the blood of Jesus the, the practical help that he give, gave the man had a spiritual root he was spiritually concerned about this man. He gave him personal help. You think he traveled with a first aid kit? You think he traveled with a first aid kit in the first century? Not on your life. Where'd those bandages come from? I think he tore up his own clothes to make bandages, okay? He he put him on his own donkey. This is my transportation. This is how I'm going to get where I'm going on my journey, but here I'm going to put you up there. He gave him spiritual help. He gave him personal help. And he gave him financial help. Don't miss that. He gave because there was a need. Now I want to close with this. we got to see that this guy wasn't trained in the ministry. Okay, uh, He wasn't trained in the ministry like the priest and like the temple assistant were. And and, and he probably doesn't have any more knowledge about the Bible than they do. And just like them, he has a life. He has responsibilities. And yet he is willing to get his hands dirty and use his own resources, his oil, his wine, his money, his clothing, to help take care of the guy on the side of the road. And he does it because he sees like Jesus sees, and he responds as Jesus leads. It's not enough just to be concerned. It's not enough. We have to get involved. We have to be willing to get a little blood on our clothes, get some dirt on our kneecaps. We have to invest our time, give our resources. We have to do whatever it takes to serve other people. God has placed people all around us to serve. And some of them live in ways that are very different from the way we live. Some of them struggle with habits that we don't struggle with. Some of them spend money on things we think are a complete waste. And we may be right. But are we willing to see them like Jesus sees them? And respond to them as Jesus leads us to respond to them? Are we willing to be saved people who serve other people? Think about people you come across every day. There are people in our community who are beat up and hurting. And it may not show on the outside, but it's there in their hearts. They are on the side of the road, naked, bleeding, half dead. How will you serve them? Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.